I'm Tracy McCauley. And I'm Liz Zuleika. We are cardiology pharmacists, educators, and self-declared literature crusaders. With the help of national cardiology pharmacy experts, we at Cardioscripts aim to keep you up to date. In this episode of Cardioscripts, we hear Dr. Dave Dixon's thoughts on Reduce It and Reduce It USA. Enjoy the episode. In this episode of Cardioscripts, I am joined by Dave Dixon. He is an associate professor and the vice chair for clinical services at Virginia Commonwealth University School of Pharmacy. He is also the director of the VCU School of Pharmacy Center for Pharmacy Practice Innovation. Dr. Dixon currently practices at an outpatient general cardiology clinic at VCU Health and conducts research evaluating strategies to improve cardiovascular risk factor control and clinical practice guideline implementation. So on behalf of Liz and I, we just want to welcome you to Cardioscripts. Thanks. I'm excited to be here. should be fun. We have asked you on the show today to talk about the Reduce It trial and, and maybe even more the results from the 3,146 patients randomized in the U.S. cohort, which was recently presented at AHA and simultaneously published in circulation. So I'm going to start off by just telling everyone a little bit more about that trial. And I, I think it's hard not to start with the larger trial that was published in January of 2019 and give some tidbits of what we learned from the, the cohort of just U.S. patients. So this trial examined icosapent ethyl, a highly purified EPA, and examined whether or not it would reduce cardiovascular events in patients with established atherosclerotic heart disease, which for the rest of the presentation, I'll call ASCVD. This was a multi-center randomized, double-blind, placebo-controlled trial. It enrolled patients who were greater than 45 years old and had either documented atherosclerotic disease or a little bit older patients who had diabetes and at least one additional risk factor. That could be hypertension, low HDL, elevated high-sensitivity CRP, just to name a few. But all patients also had an elevated fasting triglyceride despite statin therapy. That was defined as having triglycerides originally greater than 150 up to 499, but during the trial it was adjusted to include patients with slightly lower levels of greater than 135. Patients were not eligible if they had severe heart failure or uncontrolled diabetes or hypertension. In the end, the overall trial population included 8,179 patients who were stratified by cardiovascular risk, so whether they were primary or secondary prevention, their use of azitimib, and the geographic region, which allowed for later analysis by that geography like we see with the U.S. cohort. They were randomized to receive two grams of icosapent ethyl twice daily, so a total of four grams a day or placebo. And the primary endpoint was major adverse cardiovascular event. In the end, approximately 70% of the patients were secondary prevention, they were about 64 years old, primarily male at 70%, and primarily white. 58% had diabetes as a comorbidity. And as far as baseline lipid management, the majority of the patients were on moderate intensity statin um, at 63%, with 30% on high intensity and the remainder on low intensity. Only 6.4% were taking azitimib and very low utilization of PCSK9 inhibitors. The average LDL in enrollment was 60 or was 76 milligrams per deciliter. 
and triglycerides were around 216 as a mean. The U.S. cohort had very similar characteristics, and as I said, because it was stratified by geography, their groups were evenly matched in the placebo and the, the EPA arm as well. The U.S. cohort did have a slightly higher percent of patients in primary prevention, so a little bit um, more to see with that. But the overall trial showed a reduction in four, by an absolute reduction of 4.8% in the EPA arm compared to placebo, which was a number needed to treat of 21. And they also saw significant reductions in most of the secondary endpoints, including CV death, with an absolute risk reduction of 0.9% although all-cause mortality was not different in this overall cohort. The U.S. patients did have overall higher event rates, and the primary endpoint, though, was reduced by 6.5%, with a number needed to treat of 16, and there was a statistically significant lower risk of all-cause mortality with a 2.6 absolute risk reduction and number needed to treat of 39. So a lot of information in there, um, and we have known for... A long time that triglyceride levels are an important risk factor for ASCVD, but previously trials haven't shown this kind of benefit at all. So what were your initial thoughts on this trial? So I think it's hard not to look at these results and, I mean, it's just impressive thinking in the context of previous trials with non-statin therapies, the data that we have with Zetamide from the Improve It trial, you know, a very modest benefit, uh, two PCSK9 inhibitor trials, uh, you know, a little bit more significant benefit with those agents, but really focusing on LDL reduction. And then here with icosapent ethyl, we have an EPA-only product that is really, I think, changing the way we think about lipids because the triglyceride reduction observed here is pretty small. There's about an 18% decrease uh, in triglyceride levels. And it's very hard to believe that the magnitude of benefit here is just purely due to change in lipids. And so I think there's a lot of conversations going on, rightfully so, about, you know, why is this benefit so great? And, you know, how do we move forward with trying to implement this into practice? Great. And I think you started to hint there at my next question, which is, you know, this has a, is fairly expensive at about uh, greater than 300 per month AWP. So why wouldn't we just use OTC fish oil or even omega-3 prescription? Yeah, that's a great question. And one that certainly I'm getting quite frequently in practice, uh, not just from providers, but from patients. But certainly I think it's important to go back and Remember that we're talking about the polyunsaturated fatty acid group referred to as the omega-3 fatty acids. There are two you know, main components there talking about EPA and DHA. And it's quite clear that the supplements that we refer to as the fish oil supplements over the counter are not equivalent to our prescription products, such as a cosapent ethyl. Uh, the supplements over the counter are not regulated by the FDA. Uh, there's been a number of sort of consumer report type studies analyzing those sample, uh, analyzing the capsules. And a number of those have found that many of them actually contain a, a fair amount of saturated fats, other types of impurities, and the concentration of EPA and DHA is often quite low compared to a single capsule of prescription fish, fish oil or omega-3 fatty acid uh, such as a cosapent ethyl, which again is a purified product that is all EPA. So I think that to substitute, say, an over-the-counter fish oil supplement for a prescription product like a cosapent ethyl, it's just it's just not appropriate given the fact that 
the products are not regulated. And again, if you look at plethora of data that we do have with low doses of any type of omega-3 fatty acid or fish oil supplement, none of those studies have really shown for there to be any significant benefit from a cardiovascular standpoint. So I'd like to talk a little bit about the people who were in this trial and and maybe also who were not included in this trial. So at baseline, would you have considered these patients to be well-managed with respect to their dyslipidemia? Yeah. So you've got an average LDL of 76 milligrams per deciliter, triglycerides of 216 milligrams per deciliter. And I think from an LDL standpoint, looking at the bulk of these patients, of course, being secondary prevention. And with the most recent cholesterol guidelines, I think that, you know, a number of us would probably say that there's some room potentially to lower the LDL or certainly to consider non-statins that would preferentially further reduce the LDL. And it is important to note that ezetimibe and PCSK9 inhibitor use was quite low in this trial. Unsurprisingly, but I think it's important to, to put that out there, the triglyceride levels, you know, this is not a triglyceride study. I think it's really important to understand that they were really focusing on the effects of this purified EPA product on cardiovascular risk. And certainly it makes sense to look at a population that that has a moderately elevated triglyceride because that's historically been what this drug was approved for and where we think about using omega-3 fatty acids. Uh, So I think by and large, these patients are on, on fairly appropriate therapy, but certainly I think that they're there's a little bit room here for further statin intensification and maybe the consideration of at least an azetamide. Now, related to the exclusion criteria, there are probably a lot of us who have gotten out of the fish oil or the EPA game for a while. So who should we avoid these in? And, and I think the exclusion criteria may point to that a little bit. Yeah, I think the the one thing that really uh, jumps out and was certainly a, an adverse effect that was observed in the trial is is bleeding risk. And I think that, you know, this has been sort of an ongoing controversial topic with omega-3 fatty acids and whether or not they actually contribute to increased bleeding risk. But I think it's, you know, it's hard to ignore the data and the, the safety data that we do have. And so I think certainly patients that have a propensity for bleeding, have a history of major bleeding episodes, I would certainly be at least a little bit cautious, especially given that, you know, if that patient's got room to further lower the LDL or, or make some other changes, that might be a better place to focus on. There is also a, a slight increase in atrial fibrillation that seems to be a signal that pops up periodically. I think the clinical significance of that remains to, to be figured out. And I think that you know, a lot of these patients are at risk of developing atrial fibrillation. We've got a lot of secondary prevention patients, you know, so is the omega-3 fatty acid really causing that? Uh, it's difficult to tease that out. And certainly I think that warrants further study. So I think it's, it's possible the FDA agrees with you because hot off the presses, the FDA has made some labeling recommendation changes. Uh, would you tell everyone about those? Sure. So the FDA uh, reviewed, obviously, the application to expand the indication for icosapent ethyl uh, for cardiovascular prevention and a secondary uh, prevention population. And overwhelmingly, the FDA you know, approved uh, moving forward with granting that indication, uh, which is really significant uh, because historically, with our omega-3 fatty acid prescription products, they've only been FDA approved for patients that have triglycerides over 500 milligrams per deciliter, now we have a cost of ethyl that has this expanded indication 
in the secondary prevention population uh, to reduce cardiovascular risk. The American Diabetes Association uh, has already you know, incorporated this into their guidelines. Uh, and so it'll be interesting to see you know, how that gets actually implemented into practice. Okay, are there any final thoughts you have on this trial or even the management of triglycerides? Yeah, I think one thing maybe we didn't touch on that certainly comes up is the conversations around the mineral oil placebo uh, that was used in the Reduce It trial. And uh, Amarin, uh, the company did, when they submitted their FD application, they did include an extensive literature review and evaluation of the effects of mineral oil and lipids. And there's just not a consistent effect. And uh, I think it is important to note that the product used was specifically manufactured for this trial. And it was a light mineral oil products that was highly purified. And at least from the FDA's discussion uh, and some of those notes and, and things, it seems that uh, the FDA was satisfied with that. Uh, and there really was no consensus that the mineral oil, you know, uh, dramatically affected the results, even if it explains some of it certainly the, the benefit is probably still there. So I think that's something that at least uh, for the time being, we can kind of put to rest uh, that uh, that would be a major issue. As far as triglyceride management, uh, I think it's important to always remember lifestyle change, uh, reducing carbohydrate intake, uh, reducing alcohol intake, uh, losing weight, improving glycemic control. Uh, triglyceride management from a pharmacotherapy standpoint, I think is still uh, fairly controversial in the sense of using drug therapies because, again, this trial was really not designed as a triglyceride-lowering drug. And so the role of our phenofibrates, uh, phenofibrate-type products certainly, I think, remains just for those patients that have triglycerides over 500 with the goal of preventing pancreatitis, not necessarily cardiovascular risk. Thanks again, Dave, for participating in CardioScripts, and we're excited. Our next episode, we'll pick up with a heart failure topic with Dr. Kathleen Falkenberg at Cleveland Clinic, and she'll be talking to Liz about an oldie but a goodie top cat. For more information, you can visit our site at cardioscripts.com. For more questions or conversation, join us on Twitter at CardioScripts. Talk to you next time.